Welcome to the latest episode of Be Atento. I am Jesse Ulrich, CEO of Random Productions and editor of this podcast. The Be Atento podcast offers helpful tips and stories from some of today's most successful entrepreneurs and investors, and is brought to you by Atento Capital, a Telsa-based venture fund focused on driving returns through early-stage venture investment in local economic development and job creation. Atento stands for helpful, careful, thoughtful, conscientious, and polite as Atento Capital seeks to embody these characteristics to all of its stakeholders. Well, we'd like to welcome you to another edition of the Be Atento podcast, where we take time to really get to know uh, special individuals and people who are really can contribute to the Tulsa ecosystem, as well as the different VC and venture capital opportunities uh, throughout the country. And so, we have a wonderful guest with us today. This man is motivated. He is intentional and he is focused. This is Mr. Get It Done. And he he really takes the time to do all the things necessary to make sure that all things are in order in for everyone around his life, as well as you know, his work that he does himself. And so we welcome none other than Mr. Davon Johnson. Davon, welcome to the Be Attento Podcast. Man, Aaron, that was a great intro. I'm like, who's this guy that he's talking about? I can't wait till they come on. I'm like, oh, that's me. That's what's up. <laughs> nice meeting you. Thank you for uh, having me on this. Love to tell you a little more about what, I, what I'm doing and what my intentions are. Yeah, that's exactly where we want to start. So first of all, welcome to Tulsa. You came to Tulsa and it's snowy right now. And so uh, this is our first real snow of the season. So we thank you for braving the weather and, and coming down to visit us. But we would love to hear what is the Davon Johnson story. You can start from wherever you like. Cool. I, I love that. There's so many versions of my story, but uh, I'm just a, a kid of a single parent that was super motivated. She made sure uh, my mom provided the best infrastructure for me to thrive as a black man and not hear no and to avoid or jump over hurdles and obstacles. From New York, New York City, born in Queens. Raised in Long Island, currently living in Harlem. Okay, QB, Queensbridge. <laughs> so, so believe it or not, I'm from Far Rockaway, Queens, and no one's oh, from Far Rockaway. Yeah, okay. no one's ever from Far Rockaway. That's like no man's land. And then we moved to Long Island, and so now I'm living in, in Harlem and looking for my next location, which is what brings me to Tulsa in, in the first place. And I think there's a lot of similarities in the historical context of someone like me being able to thrive in an environment like Harlem, and then in Tulsa. And so in terms of work and for your professional uh, development, how, how what's, what's the story behind that? How, how do you? Yes, yeah, so, man, I've been an entrepreneur since I was in third grade, right? So my first business was I sold lollipops, right? So I would, my mom would take me to BJ's. I'd buy this big um, box of, you know, um, bubble, blow pops. And <laughs> by the end of the week, I'm out of them. My mom thinking that I'm eating lollipops every day. She's thinking like, wow, my son loves these lollipops. And I was actually selling them in, in school. So at the convenience store by my school, the lollipops were 50 cent. So I sold them for a quarter in school. So I was making profit from there. Like I didn't even realize what I was doing, but I know like I liked money. I didn't even need it. I didn't have any expenses in third grade. Right. But I wanted financial freedom and selling lollipops at the time gave me financial freedom. I was also that corny kid in the suburbs that had a lemonade stand in the summer. 
um, at the end of the driveway. Um, my grandfather built me a little table and I sold lemonade to the neighbors. And then from that, I had a paper route in my neighborhood. I hired four folks, friends to, to deliver papers for me. So I actually never delivered the papers, but it was my route. And, and then I also created a, a DJ group. We were called Vibrations International uh, when I was in junior high school. In high school, and we, we DJed various parties, bar mitzvahs, school dances, et cetera. But the funny thing is that I had no skills on the turntables, but my neighbor was good at it. So I'm like, okay, here's a business opportunity. I have all these connections. <laughs> we can do these parties. I'll negotiate the terms, <laughs> but you do all the work. So yeah, I've, I've been an entrepreneur in, in my bones forever. Uh, but career-wise, my my first job at the college was working in the music industry. I had the great opportunity to work at the amazing Def Jam Records, then Universal, then Atlantic. And I helped restart a little small label called Asylum Records at the time, Mike Jones, Paul Wall, Little Webby. So I thought I was going to maybe give up on my entrepreneurial pursuits and focus on music, but an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur and it, it calls you, it's in your bones. And I've been doing Blue Life Media for over a decade now. Uh, going back to your story with the Blow Pops, I, I used to I was entrepreneur as well. I used to sell pixie sticks. There you go. And I remember <laughs> I used to go down to the corner store. They used to sell them for a penny at the corner store. And I'd go to the to school and sell them for a nickel. And uh, it, it, I was doing really well. I had money saved up. I had it tucked away in my locker, a stash. And <laughs> I knew how to re-up and do it. You know, I had a whole game going, right? <laughs> and I got in uh, trouble when somebody said, you know, they started putting the picture sticks all over the classroom floor or whatnot. And the principal came in and said, where y'all getting these from? And they said, you're getting it from Aaron. And he's like, you got to shut that down, man. <laughs> so I, I know all about what you're saying. I know. It's like people people snitch, right? Or telling you, I don't think they know that they're doing that, right? I just think they are just talking, but not understanding like the business model, what you're doing. You're actually shutting down a, a business and you were providing them a convenience, right? They don't have to walk that block or two blocks to the store. You handle that for them. So now they messed themselves up. They t they done told on you. Now you can't sell them the pixie sticks, and then nobody wins. See, I needed you to be my attorney back then. <laughs> you know, I said, this this would have worked out real well. <laughs> so so that's wonderful, man. I, it's it's good for you to you know uh, kind of lay out that landscape. And I don't know how much you shared that with Mike Bosch, but he has a very uh, similar story about the lemonade stand and like being an entrepreneur at a young age like that. So it's, that's very good. So tell us about Blue Life. What, where, 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 what was the impetus and where is it today? Yeah, man. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a black man and I've worked in hip hop music at different labels. And sometimes the imagery that we were part of, these marketing machines, didn't reflect who I was or my environment. And after a while, you're like, I'm making money, but this really isn't authentic to who I am or or the future I see for myself. So from that, I was like, I want to save up my money, you know, stack my 401k. And when I start this company, I want to reimagine what the black man looks like in media, right? So this is before Black Lives Matter. This is before the protests. This is before like Black Boy Joy and all these little, you know, terms we got for social media. This was actually a reflection of the the life and the future I saw for myself and my friends. And it was it was tough, right? You know, you try telling some someone at that time that black men are more than 
aspiring to be rappers and athletes. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? So this isn't like a thing where it's like I'm talking down or putting down athletes and 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 rappers and musicians. I'm just saying we're that end, right? And I wanted to explore what that end looked like. And people believe what they see, right? So I had to show them. I couldn't just tell them, you know, black men are lawyers and doctors and entrepreneurs and writers and explorers and skiers and all these different things. I decided to create that space for that to happen. And it's it's been tough, right? It took a while for the world to catch up to 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 what I've been working on. And I sit around and like, I'm not taking responsibility for Black Boy Joy or Black Lives Matter, but I do know that I contributed to the ecosystem that allowed for us to be seen differently. Um, and that's the work we continue to do. It's funny, I couldn't get, we started off as a, a print publication, a print magazine, and we couldn't get distribution, right? Because no one knew who we were. I didn't know that system. I didn't know how that worked. But I, I know I got a haircut at the barbershop every week, right? Sometimes I spent two, three hours in the barbershop. So we partnered with 3,000 barbershops on the East Coast to distribute the magazine because I couldn't get no newsstand. Like no one was like, we're going to distribute this, this magazine celebrating black men, right? They were like, no one was down for that. And it turned out like to be a great business model for us, right? So then we had intimate access and still do to one of the most trusted environments in the black community. Then one of the safest places is the black barbershop. You know, black men listen to their barber more than the doctor, right? So we have an intimate relationship with that. And then brands started to say, oh, we maybe because of the movie Barbershop, maybe because of all the barbershop scenes in movies, or maybe more people got black male friends and realized that we get our hair cut all the time and we spend hours in a barbershop. Even when you have an appointment on the app to give you an appointment, you still sit in a barbershop. <laughs> like, and you're okay with that, right? And everyone and every type of person is there. So we, you know, one of the 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 lines we say about blue. We bring you from the barbershop to the boardroom, right? Because no matter what your socioeconomic background is, you go into the barber. You you know you stick with your barber until your barber dies, or until you move several states away. So yeah, so a lot of what I did, you know, this sort of making it happen, figuring it out, sort of thing. It's like there's been resistance for the existence of the business I wanted to create. So I decided to create a new environment for my business to thrive and to and to grow in. So, you know, now people are like, oh, man, like barbershop, we should have thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you should have. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting that we have to keep reminding society and also reminding ourselves that we are not a monolith, right? That we, are, that we are diverse and we're worth celebrating that diversity. And that's what Blue Life represents. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Uh, I have two different ways I want to go with that. The one question would be dealing with like uh, you addressing the whole shut up and dribble culture and mindset, right? Absolutely. So, so, so I, I want to come back to that. I also want to deal with how you went about scaling to 3,000 barbershops. Like, what was that process like? Was it door to door? Was it, you know, one barber knew another? Was it Instagram? Like, how, how what was that scaling process? So, Let's talk about scaling and then we'll go with the shut up and dribble uh, piece. Yeah, like the shut up and dribble is a bigger part of that. So the, the scaling part, um, I, I won't say it was easy because I think easy takes away from the, the amount of work and, and the sweat equity and, and, and the pavement pounding that that I had to do. But I knew that the experience I had in the barbershop exists in every community of color across the country. So it was a matter of getting in my car and driving down 95 and going to black communities and just dropping off the magazine. And as we did that, I, I began to have the conversation out loud. I met someone um, that did something similar with, you know, those hair magazines that, that women have in, in a beauty salon. I think it's like 
black. So I found a guy that does that. I found a guy that delivers all those to the female beauty salons. And then we created a deal. Like I just paid him to distribute the magazine to the barbershops. And most likely next door to a beauty salon is a barbershop. It's a barbershop. Right? Yeah. So it was yeah. like, bro, you're already making out deliveries. You're already, you're already doing that. I'm going to pay you a little extra to deliver mine also. So that's where the scale happened. It's like a really grassroots thing. And what's really important about that is I think that we often think of scale in a digital space, especially the way we are right now. We think scale can only be measured in how many clicks you have or how large your audience is in a digital footprint. And what doesn't happen is the cultural importance of scale, right? The word of mouth of scale. And I'll bring it back to my time in the music industry. The street team was the most important part of your marketing strategy because that's who got the music in the hands of the consumers. That's what made something hot in the club. That's what made something hot in the neighborhood, in the cars that were bumping music. So we we have this huge leap to like digital and the future of things or the web 3.0. But we also have this fundamental baseline that communities of color have been ignored and the, the relevancy of that. So I'm I'm part businessman, I'm part entrepreneur, I'm part advocate for slow down for a second because there are things happening in black communities that non-black people have no clue how important those things are, right? So so as I'm pitching my my company and I'm pitching scale, they always want the scale to be measured in clicks and I'm like no no, the scale is measured in how other black men in black community values and sees what we're doing. It's about who we're highlighting. hundred percent. It's it's all about impact. It's not about the like you said, the number of clicks. It's not about volume. It's about impact. Yeah. And what you know, the the thing is, you know, and I've I've had to stress this, you know, before I came here to Tulsa, I was working for a top fifty school in America, university in America, and doing great work with them. And I had to sp- explain to them a, a lot. There was several times I had to explain to them that the approach that you're taking is research-based, but these are people. And so it's, it's very much not going to be this science that you're trying to make it out to be. These are people you have to interact with them. You're not going to be able to sit from an ivory tower and just send out an email and people respond. It's a, that's not how this, these communities work. You have to get in with them. You have to have, have buy-in. You have to show uh, a level of trustworthiness. You know, there has to be uh, some, some some credibility. That's where they get the word street cred from, right? You have to be credible uh, before you can be incredible or do incredible things. You have to first be credible. And so in our community, in Black communities, and I would even say in BIPOC communities, the same in the Hispanic community. Like, if you don't have a level of credibility, you can't be incredible. You just won't be uh, because you won't be trusted enough to be. And so that you bring up a very great point there. And the other piece I was going to say that the whole beauty shop, barber shop thing is that typically if you have men's magazines, you can double up and do in a barber shop and in a beauty salon because men, uh, black women will read about black men. They want to see the stories about, uh, uh, you know, this guy who turned his life around and have hope that their husband or their Bro. boyfriend can <laughs> turn it on. You know, so like. You 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 doubled the market right there. You know, it's funny when we when we do you know our measurement and our engagement when we look at the numbers we see that we have like a forty five percent female audience right and we're not even marketing to females but you're right there's a there's a cultural investment there's a social investment there's a familiar investment of black women and the protection of black men right so we are by by highlighting and celebrating and telling stories of black men we're also 
helping black women and let them know the work they've done. Like my mom's a single mom, black woman. She raised me. So some, a lot of black women are raising a strong, amazing black men and celebrating me is, is celebrating that also. And just on a scale thing, right? This, I'm going to bring it to like a large brand. You think about Nike, right? I've never seen an ad for Air Force One, but in every black neighborhood, I see black men wearing Air Force Ones. Because, and how does that happen? There's a cultural conversation that happens that's not on the web. It's not televised. It's not measurable. There's not research. It just happens on its own. And 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 that's the part that a lot of these investors, and I will say, you know, the VC game is interesting because they want scale. And I and I understand that and I, and I, and I appreciate that money has to work and money has to multiply. And I understand that. But very often what gets invested in are mockeries of the culture that happens organically in Black communities versus investing in the catalyst in the Black community for that to happen. So again, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm an advocate and I'm an educator around why investing in maybe not the most popular or perceived popular thing is the way to go for long term. And most research is five five years behind anyway. By the time the research is gathered, the report's put through, it's gone through the process. By the time a marketer reads a white paper, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. So if you're judging me on research that's not even current research, you're not going to understand what I'm telling you today because you're only measuring me on research that took place five years ago. And what we're going to find out, too, is that, you know, in many of these BIPOC communities that you cannot digitize culture. No, you can't. You can't. It, it, it will it like there will be a representation, as you're saying, there'll be a representation of it. But you, culture is culture. And when one thing that, uh, like you said, we're not monolithic, but one thing that is deep in it, like, you know, we you pull up in any hood in any city. Right. And there is a tone there. You know, when you get to the neighborhood, you know, there's going to be a barbecue spot in the hood. Yep. You know, there's going to be a bell bondsman. And, you know, Chris Rock said it years ago. Right. There is a overall there's the culture of our communities is it can't be digitized and it can't be manufactured. It's based on the human experience and Without that human element, many of things will fail or it'll it'll just it'll keep clocking. It'll keep trying to download, but it'll never really take. I know, bro. It's funny. I uh, I, I was on a, a WhatsApp group with, with someone that a non-BIPOC person and they had mentioned, uh, I think, camping or they had like went off the grid and they were being sustainable and it, it might have been like a burning man sort of thing. And then I had mentioned that um, I was a Boy Scout and I'm actually Eagle Scout. And I think they're maybe trying to be funny, like, oh, like sarcasm, funny, like black guys camp. And I'm like, well, my scoutmaster was black and my whole you know, Boy Scout group was was black. And five of my friends from high school are Eagle Scouts also. But I said, what's most important is that you think going off the grid for a week is some revolutionary you know, thing where communities of color have been growing their food off the grid, off the grid. Yeah. Forever. So it's like this, it's this, it's just this, pa- you can't package, like you said, black culture, right? And so we'll call it farm to table, but in every Caribbean island, that's what's happening. We're eating clean food. Like you said, in the hood, there's always a fish market and people, they like, oh, black people love fried chicken. 
who said that? <laughs> We're not even the largest consumers of chicken, but that's a whole other situation. Um, but yes, you can't package culture. You can't measure culture on, on a digital side. You have to be in those spaces. And what Blue Magazine, Blue Life, Blue Life Media Group, and our digital properties have done is highlight those in the community. We think the woman who started a small business in the church basement is just as important as a story about Nicki Minaj or Beyonce, right? Because all of those things need to be seen and need to be celebrated. And we can't expect every female to be Beyonce. And we can't expect Beyonce to represent every female, right? We can't expect every guy to be Kanye or Drake or Barack Obama, right? We we all need to exist. So that's what Blue Life stands for. Um, and like I said, we are we are we are out here. We're doing it. We're in business. Have amazing staff that does amazing things with 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 very small budgets. And we just really we just really wish that uh, the world can can see that some more. Okay, so let's go back to the shut up and dribble and and how Blue Life addresses that mindset. When that woman made that comment uh, or uh, about LeBron and. That was it was huge in the sports world. Then it became huge in the, the natural world. And so Blue Life kind of addresses that in a very direct way, but not in not but indirectly. Like it, it it addresses it. It wasn't because of it, but it does address that train of thought that, you know, just do what you're paid to do or just do what you're good. Don't think just do it. Entertain me. Don't think. Right. And so I uh, can you speak a little bit about what that looks like in your day to day and, in you know, as the, the evolution of blue life has kind of happened, like how, how does that mindset, how do you attack that mindset? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. So during the pandemic, I actually started a nonprofit called uh, Black Owned Media Equity Sustainability Institute or BOMISI for short. And we, we address that issue head on as a continuation of the work I've done uh, with Blue Life Media Group. We have to have conversations and real conversations with brands that have always done a good job of using black bodies to market a product. Right. And that, that uh, perception or that accepted truth of shut up and dribble. Don't think affects us also, right? Because if we only see us shedding up and dribbling, you think that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to grow up to be. And if you don't measure up to that thing, then you don't feel valuable, right? So if I'm not good at basketball from K to 12, then I don't see myself valued in any other way, right? So so what's my place in the world? It's my place in the world because I'm not going to be in the NBA. And the truth is why I'm not in the NBA, it's not because I'm not good at basketball, because mathematically it's almost impossible to make it to professional sports, right? So let's teach the math, not the dribble, right? That's that's the thing. So, so, so if you learn the math of sports, you learn the business of sports, then I don't have to measure myself about whether I get in or don't get into the NBA or the NFL or any other major league baseball, any other sports team, because I know mathematically it's not that possible for most people. And when I know the math about it, then I can seek other things that I can measure myself against. And that's where blue comes in, that we show that. So, you know, we highlight sculptors and photographers and writers and stylists, folks that have executive positions in sports. And that's the way that we've addressed it without just talking about it, right? Because I can talk about it over and over again, but I also have to show you better than I can tell you. And 
Blue, Blue Magazine and Blue Life is just as important for non-BIPOC individuals as it is for BIPOC individuals. Because again, you know, he who controls the media controls the mind. And if we're only showing folks one type of image, then everyone's going to believe the wrong type of image. And everyone's going to me- measure themselves against something that's not true, like against the falsity. So we, we stepped in. I wasn't good at basketball. I liked having fun. I liked playing basketball. But I never wanted to be in the NBA. So therefore, I didn't try that hard at it, right? But I had other ways to measure myself. Remember, I had my lemonade stand. I had my I had my blow pop business. So I was already finding other ways to validate my existence in, in the world. So that's it just makes sense that I'm doing what I'm doing now. Uh, have you have you considered, you know, some blue life matter, blue life matters paraphernalia or blue life? matters, you know, putting a spin on the way that they try to change blue lives matter to blue life and redefining it, right? (laughs) Bro, you're so funny because we we tried that, right? We we actually, it's so funny you said that. We had some merch that we had like mocked up for that, but then we're like, oh, the cops are going to be like, yeah, it was just too. It was just too much. We didn't want to have that that, too much that heavy lift. But we no, we just we just doubled down on blue life, and y'all can say in your mind that it matters or or not. And 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 just a little take back to to blue and why it's called blue. You know, when a child is born, if you're if you're a guy, they put blue on you. If you're a girl, they put pink on you. So we said at birth, all all boys are blue, right? All boys wear blue. And if you look at that, if you if you start from a place of equality, then you grow into a place of equality. So we wanted blue to be the unifying that no matter what your socioeconomic background is, no matter what neighborhood, um, no matter what you grow up to do in, uh, as a profession, sports, music, right. business, et cetera, we all start at the same place. All, all, all boys are blue. All created equal. We're all created equal from that place. And you, we're going to include you in that entire journey. So yeah, that's what, that's what Blue Life stands for. So do me a favor and give us some examples of individuals that you've covered that left a, uh, or done a story about that kind of left a mark on you or, you know, kind of speak to the, the character of blue and, and what it represents. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to think that everybody we put in, uh, in the magazine or we cover on, on the website. Well, just somehow. It's, it's we'll super important. Somehow. I'm going to tell you someone that's not a male that has made a huge impact on me for the work she does for, for, for black men. There's a name, girl named Gilda Lopez. She is Guatemalan, Afro, Garifina community. And she has a platform called Brothers in Briefcases. And she puts together Black men of different backgrounds, whether it's uh, corporate designers and media, et cetera, entrepreneurs, and self-funded. And she puts on these like mixers and creates space for Black men to see each other for the black community to see each other. And she she's done this just on her own. She like she works like in retail and she takes her paycheck, a portion of it, and dedicates it to celebrating black men because she felt the world doesn't love us enough. They celebrate us when we make the basket and win the championship and get the trophy. They march for us when we are killed on on, on live TV, but they don't really celebrate us for just existing. Right. And that's the work that she does. It's called Brothers in Briefcases. Another person that I'm impressed with the work they do, his name is Jeff Lindor. And he has a space called the Gentleman's Factory um, in Brooklyn, New York. And it's a co-working space, but it's also just a social space where, again, Black men who have a dream can come and just exist. Right. So, so many businesses have come out of that 
out of, out of that uh, space. So that sort of work is what I'm most most impressed by. And we've had like you know you know cool people. One of one of the the first major celebrities we had on on the cover was uh was Ryan Leslie, and he was like transitioning into like getting more into business outside of the music that he produced. He's working on some digital stuff. So we celebrated that. So again, it's like this thing where it's like, it's not just about album sales. It's also other things that you're doing. And this is super important. I almost forgot this. I'm answering your question in a very roundabout way, but it's not just for me about celebrating the individual, right? So we can celebrate going to call them out. We can celebrate Nas investing in said app. We can celebrate Snoop Dogg investing in said app. But what I really want to celebrate is these really wealthy black men investing in other black founders, right? Not celebrating the individual windfall they get from investing in Uber or DoorDash or whatever they invest in that's often founded by white men with privilege and access um, and a bright pedigree. What I really would like for these um, really wealthy entertainers to do with their money is invest in black founders, because that's where the impact really happens um, and change really gets made. It's not about the individual wealth. It's about what you're doing for the community. That's that's my if I get a bigger platform and a bigger soapbox, that's that's what I'm going to advocate for is for wealthy black folks to invest in black founders. And so, you know, Blue Life is how old is Blue Life now? Blue Life is several different years old, right? So as as a brand, it was my side hustle when I was still working. So that's about 10 years ago. The current company, this conglomerate where it's bluemagazine.com, bombshellbyblue.com. We have an e-commerce platform um, that we partner with local designers, Shop Blue Life, um, and we do events. That's about three years old. So 2019, we became Blue Life Media Group, and that's the current iteration. We still do have a print publication uh, that we distribute to those 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 uh, locations. We're one of the few outside of Ebony and Essence. We're the only other nationally distributed print publication, which is super important. And, and both those magazines have had to stop production for a while. We've never stopped printing. I think that says something for me as a as a business person and my my ability to navigate. We survived the pandemic. That itself is a story. Never shut my doors, never laid anybody off, never fired anyone. So I, I want to celebrate me a little bit too. You know, yeah. you're with that. So yeah, so Blue Life is the the possibility of it all. That's what it represents. Where does the rest of the BIPOC community? So we understand that you're celebrating black. Does, does it, is there an appeal for the rest of the uh, BIPOC community to, to, to play? And, I, I, you know, you shouted out Gilda Lopez and, and whatnot. Is there space in Blue Life for our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our, our like, you know, our Asian brothers and sisters? How, how does that kind of play? Yeah, out? I mean, absolutely. We, we aren't exclusively Black. We celebrate okay. Black. And those who also celebrate Black are welcome to the table. Right. So I think, you know, part of the work that needs to be done is that we often sidestep what needs to be done to repair the damage to the black community in the U.S. by doing these other extensions of diversity and inclusion. And I think the work does need to happen. Everyone um, needs to have an equitable, equitable space at the table. However, we still have a lot of work to do with what's been done to the intentional discrimination, exclusion of black people and the U.S. economy, right? There, there were laws that existed that didn't even allow us to group together groups of three, couldn't vote, couldn't buy property. Own anything. Oh, couldn't own yeah, anything, right? Own. So like, we've got to address that fundamental base because the discrimination 
of everyone else, the foundation of it is the discrimination against Black people, right? So if we fix that, the the root of the problem, then everything else does happen. But if we just start with BIPOC, right, and never address the Black, then we won't even get to BIPOC inclusion because the foundation is the discrimination against Black people. That's powerful. That's powerful. And and, and the question wasn't to dilute your, your your vision or anything, but but just to you know show the inclusive inclusivity of what you're the mission what you're trying to do. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is it's it's for everyone to see. The U.S. has done a great job of the negative perception of Black people. Right. And that has affected everyone. That's affected how other groups see each other, how other groups treat each other, how other groups compete with each other. So I think the work we do is celebrating black people for black people, but it's celebrating black people for everyone else. And and in doing that, it allows for diversity to happen. So this isn't an, an attempt to like have an all black existence. It is to have an inclusive existence where we no longer have to have these intentional conversations about black acknowledgement because it just will be. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And I often make that comment. Uh, I used to have coworkers would ask me all the time, why do you travel abroad so much? How come you don't go to, I said, I've been everywhere in America. And they say, well, why do you, I don't understand. You know, and I say, well, the only time I get all the benefits of being an American is when I'm not in America. Bro. When, I, when I'm abroad, <laughs> I'm American. When I'm in America, I'm an African-American. And and I feel it the moment my feet land back on the soil, you feel it in everything, you know. And so I, and I so I understand a hundred percent. Man, you're that going. could be a whole podcast by itself. That 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 abroad Listen. feeling, bro. When you step off that plane as an American outside of America, man, it feels so good. It feels so good. It does. When you say I'm American, it's 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 great. And and one day in America. I hope we can be American and have that benefit in this country also without it being hyphenated, right? Because right. when you go to Europe, when you go to the, Asia, wherever you go, you say you're- Anywhere. Yo, man, it, it feels so good. The service you get. <laughs> yes, everything. Everything, everything you, you realize, you realize what uh, our counterparts feel in that moment. Like you realize what they feel day to day. Yeah. In that moment, you can feel exactly how you feel day to day. All right. Just two more questions. One is where ideally let's move money off the table. Let's move fears off the table, trepidations, all of that off the table. Where ideally would you like to see Blue Life go over the next five or 10 years? What what do you have in mind? Yeah, I mean, my, my, my goal for, for Blue Life has always been a vision of think of like a Viacom or a CBS and and not and not even a BET, right? And I, and I say that for a reason is that when when BET was worth three billion, when Viacom bought it, well, I wonder how much it was worth to them, right? If you're willing to pay three billion for it, then what's what's the real value of this, right? I would love for Blue Life to become equal to these large media companies, right? Or if we were acquired a partner, that we become the premier brand. Um, for for said things, so that's TV shows, that's movies, there, there's documentaries. I think there's so much more potential around this concept of content that can exist in a in a in a black space, but not special because it's black. Really great and really dope, but have this have an equal seat at the table. Um, there is no like equivalent to 
a CBS or a Viacom or a Paramount that that's black owned. You know, there's a lot of black executives and a lot of DE&I hires that have been made. And there's a lot of individual positions that people have received. And it almost picks away from the potential of what a company like mine can be in the future. Because those of us that won't allow me a seat at the table want to also take all the talent from me too, that I've groomed um, and helped grow and create it. Create it. So, so yeah, Blue Life, five years, obviously five X times what we are right now in, in the revenue side, but really a strong force in media in general. The, the, the tool we use to get there will be telling Black stories and diverse stories, right? That's, that's our product. But the destination is an equal seat at the table amongst large media companies. So what role does social media or will it play in the evolution of Blue Life? Even when you're talking about, you know, socialpreneurs or if you're talking about, you know, uh, influencers. Yeah. But how, how, do, how can we, how, how, how do you foresee Blue Life playing a role in the evolution of the influencer space. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I'm going to take it to, and I, I don't often quote Kanye, yet I often quote Kanye, but I love his most recent statement. Like, yeah, I'm not interested in NFTs. I, I create things in the real world. So that's kind of like where I'm at. I think I think social is great. And I think social will, will evolve. There'll be different platforms all the time that we will be part of and we will use as a tool or include in our business model. But we exist in the real world. We're telling stories of real people. We're not here, here to be the, the, the largest per se in a click, but the most relevant and most important in the, in the stories that we tell. You know, there's there are social media stars that have more followers than the president of the United States, but who's more powerful in the world, right? So so that, that's what I, I look at. If, I, if I'm just competing um, to get more clicks than you or get more followers than you, then I'm no longer running a business that I said I was set out to run. So, so it'll play a role in measuring impact. It'll play a role in understanding trends. But our, our, our goal isn't just for, for clicks. I'm a real business. There's, there's a real product. We create real content about real people. And then using technology and changes in social to express and explore that. But I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be a social media star. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. I, what I was thinking of was individuals who are, you know, people like, um, what's your boy's name? <laughs> what's your boy's oh, name? The, the, wait, is this this guy, the guy that's been dancing lately, that, that guy on social media? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, uh, my man's name from Nick Cannon's show, uh, Wildin' Out. DC Young Fly. Yeah. Okay. So like you take somebody like a DC Young Fly who probably never would have been seen from Hollywood, never would have been, nobody would have casted him or anything. But if you look at what he's done from little Vine clips and how he's made a brand out of it now, you know, he's he's expanded, expanded, expanded. Or if you take people like uh, a Travis Malloy, who is, I don't know if you know Travis down in Atlanta, but uh, he's a Pittsburgh guy. Shout out to Travis. <laughs> but what he's doing, I don't know if you see those millions, billions, trillion shirts, right? Everybody's wearing them right now. Travis came up with that. And so if you look at these different people who are influencers, who are doing things that are not detrimental to the community, but they also will, you know, typically by Hollywood standards, probably never have a, a show or anything. 
is there a space for them in blue life in the evolution? Of so blue it's life? absolutely a space. That's more so. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a space for them. And I think what you mentioned with social media, again, I think it goes back to social media as a tool for them. It's not the existence of them. Right. So so the billion billion children's brand is a good brand no matter what. Right. And it has happened to grow and amplify on, on, on social media. Through social media. DC Youngfly was already talented and social media allowed him a platform to to scale that that talent. Um, even with um, shout out to Corey uh, with, with support black colleges. I think it's amazing work that, that, that he's doing out of Atlanta. And, and again, supporting black colleges is always it was already a great idea. Social media allowed it to be amplified. And I, and I think that's what's important is that we look at social media as a tool, but not as the thing. Right. The, the thing isn't to be popular on social media. It's like, how do you use social media to amplify your already great idea or, or your great Absolutely. or your great product? Because truthfully, having all those followers on social media actually just helps the social media platform and their, their revenue. More than it helps you, yeah. right? Because their yeah. algorithm allows them to say monetize what you're doing for them, as opposed to monetizing yeah. you. So that's that's yeah. really important about ownership, right? How much are you giving away to these platforms for popularity versus versus actual profit or or a piece of the pie? Makes perfect sense. Well, I think that we have covered most of our topics. <laughs> we covered a lot, bro. This has been, we covered a lot, man. We, <laughs> uh, this has been absolutely wonderful. And um, if, how, how's the best way for people to get a hold of you? What are your social handles? Yeah. So for, for me personally, it's uh, Devon is blue. So it's at D-E-V-O-N-I-S-B-L-E-U. And that's on all social platforms. And then Blue Life, bluelife.com. We spell blue French, even though I'm not French, but uh, B-L-E-U, like the cheese, L-I-F-E.com. So if you just go to bluelife.com, everything will come up. You Google Blue Life, everything will come up. Blue Magazine, Bombshell by Blue are our platforms, but I think we're the only one spelling blue, B-L-E-U, in the media space right now. So Wonderful. I said it offline and I've said online, the work that you're doing is absolutely necessary. This is life-changing work. America has done great, a great job at painting uh, Black people with a negative image and with a negative brush. And what you're doing to put a positive brush on Black people is just, it's, it's, it's paramount, man. And it's, it's, it's respected. We appreciate you. Never give up the fight. And we thank you for dropping these seeds of hope back into our community and throughout uh, the, the, the American experience uh, by shedding light on Black people. Kudos to you, man. Thank you for uh, for having me. Like, yeah, I mean, the the right work isn't always the easy work, but it still has to be done. So appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. So in honor of Black History Month, we bring you Davon Johnson with Blue Life. And we thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Be Atento podcast. You can find this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Make sure to subscribe or follow and to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow Atento Capital across all social media platforms. And we look forward to speaking with you all again on the next episode of Be Atento. Be Atento.